Have you ever had one of those days that you thought was going to be a really boring day and then it turned out to be something very different? I've had those days before and I had one not that long ago. I, I had one where I woke up and it was like every other day. I got up before my family and I got ready quietly and I enjoyed those first few moments of quiet before my children awoke and my day went to chaos. I had something to drink while I watched the sunrise and I thought about my day and I thought about how grateful I was for my job. I love my job. There are days where things are difficult. There are days where things aren't easy, but most of the time I love going to work. I love what I do. I find it meaningful. I see the purpose in it. I see the value in it. And one of the things that makes my job great is who I work for. You see, I work for an incredible boss, a boss that I admire, a boss that that I look up to, a boss who's been an example for me in, in how I parent and how I lead and the man I am and the husband I am. And and I'm just privileged to be in his life. I mean, honestly, I would pay to have this job because I get to be in my boss's life because I I feel like I'm taking away so much from him day after day after day. And on this particular day, this day that I thought was going to be boring, I got word that my boss wanted to see me. And I was like, we don't typically have meetings on these days. And I wondered why he wanted to sit down and talk with me. And I was going to the meeting and I started to get nervous. You know that nervousness that you can feel in your gut? It's like when you have a bad meal and you're not sure if the night's going to go well or not so well, you know? It's that, that nervousness right here. And I felt like, I'm, I haven't even eaten anything yet. And I feel this. And, and I went in and I sat down and we chit-chatted. And he said, hey, this is why I've brought you in. I, I've brought you in to tell you that I'm done. He said, what? Well, what do you mean you're done? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be leading anymore. And he said, I'm not going to be leading anymore. And those words just rang in my ears. And I said, the job that you set out to do so long ago, it's not done yet. How can you be done? It's not done. And he's like, I've been talking to God and I feel like, I feel like my job is done. And and I just couldn't imagine life without him and that job. And if, if that was unimaginable, what came next was even more unimaginable. He turned to me and he said, He said, I think you should take my place. Say that again. I think you should take my place. And at that moment, I turned to him and I said, Moses, your sandals are way too big to fill. I can't follow you. I can't stand in your shoes. And he said, no, God and I have been talking and we're on the same page. It's going to be you. And in that moment, I walked over and I started turning the fear knob. I mean, can you imagine following Moses? Can you imagine getting compared to him? The sermons he gave, the way that he prayed. I mean, he led us through the Red Sea. That's not going to happen again. He brought the 10 plagues on Pharaoh. I hope that doesn't happen again. I never want to see a frog in my life after that. And the more and more he talked, the more and more I became afraid. And at a certain point, though, something flipped in my mind. I began thinking back to everything that Moses and I had been through. I began thinking about everything that we had done together. And a thought came to me out of nowhere. I wonder if God has been preparing me for this all along. You see, that story isn't about me. 
as some of you figured out. That story is about Joshua. But it's my story. Because multiple times in my life, I've had the privilege of sitting second chair to a great leader. Of enjoying the privilege of getting an education by watching them lead. I've enjoyed sitting in the shadows and, and basking in the opportunity to be that close to someone great. Of, of doing all the fun stuff and then having them carry the hard stuff home. So it's fun about being second chair is you don't carry the heaviness and the weight of leading. You can go, okay, awesome, I'm going to leave. And, and they carry that stuff. And on multiple occasions, those guys have walked into my office and closed the door and said, hey, I'm done. And, and you're next. And I've felt overwhelmed. I've felt unprepared. I've felt afraid to step into that place. And that's one of the reasons why I chose this character to talk about for these five weeks, this man Joshua. Because in those moments, I had to become courageous in a way that I never had before. And whether you're in this room today and you're a child or you're a senior adult, there's a moment coming in your life that you're not prepared for. If you were prepared for it, you would see it coming. But you don't, and so you're not ready. And today, I want to talk to you about how you get ready for the moment you can't see coming. And so when you walked in, you got a bulletin. And in that bulletin, there's a handout. And at the top of the handout, there's a statement. It says, big idea. And this is the idea that I want to share with you this morning. If you're unprepared for a moment that you don't see coming, here's what you need to know. That if you want to become courageous in that kind of moment, you need to pay attention to your character. If you want to become courageous in your life in the same way that we're learning about this courageous man, Joshua, then you need to pay attention to your character. You don't need to start with your giftedness or your talent or your skills or your training. You need to begin by paying attention to your character. Now you say, Scott, what do you mean by character? Well, here's what I believe character is. Character is the sum of our attitudes, virtues, habits, and behaviors. Character is kind of a a junk drawer term that, that involves all of these things, the attitudes we have, the virtues that mark our lives, the habits, the things we do on a regular basis, and our behaviors. All of that comes together to be summarized in our character. And so when you say somebody has good character or bad character, what you're saying is that they have good or bad attitudes, virtues, habits, and behaviors. And if we're going to become courageous, we need to begin by paying attention to our character. That's the lesson that we learn from this story I just told you from the book of Numbers, chapter 27. So if you have a Bible, open up to Numbers 27. Hopefully, those of you who have a physical Bible have dusted off this section after last week and discovered that Numbers isn't all about Numbers. If you don't know your Bible very well, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Bible. And we're looking in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges at the life of this guy, Joshua. And don't worry, we'll actually be in the book named after him next week. We'll get there eventually. But today we're going to talk about this pivotal moment in his life and also the life of Moses. And so today we're really going to answer the question, how does God choose people for courageous callings? How does God pick the people he uses 
in courageous ways. In Numbers 27, we're going to begin reading about Moses in verse 12. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abarim and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. And just a translation, that's the Bible saying that Moses is going to die. Because his brother Aaron has already died. He's going to be gathered to his people. And here's, here's why Moses is going to die. God says, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin, when the congregation quarreled and you failed to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. See, what happens in this passage uh, is a reference to something that happened actually between what we talked about last week and today. That the people were going through the, the, the land wandering after they were cursed, and they got very, very thirsty. They ran out of water. And I don't know if you've ever really been thirsty. I mean, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm really thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. But if you've ever fasted, like even fasted from water for a time, you know how thirsty you get. Maybe you've had surgery and you can't drink anything afterwards. You can't drink anything before. And like, if I could just have one ice chip, my life would change forever, you know, and, and you're just dying of thirst. Well, the people had nothing to drink. Two million people had nothing to drink. And so God said to Moses, go to the rock at Meribah and speak to it and water will flow from the rock. All he had to do was say, and let there be water and water would flow. But that's not what he did because he was angry at the people. And so he took his staff and instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it twice. Now water still flowed, but God said, you didn't obey me. And you didn't honor me. And because of that, you're going to die. And you're not going to see the promised land. The first thing we learn about how God chooses people for courageous calling is that God qualifies and disqualifies people based upon character, not talent. God qualifies and disqualifies people based on character, not talent. This, this story that we're talking about today involves someone who's at the center of the Old Testament. His name is Moses. And a lot of us have heard of Moses. I mean, we've seen the Prince of Egypt. We've watched the Ten Commandments. Some of us have made it all the way through that four and a half hour, two VHS thing. Remember, they used to always put it on TV on Easter night. I never really got why it was on Easter, because it wasn't really an Easter story, but I remember watching it on Easter and, and Moses was this incredible, incredible leader. He'd watched God do amazing things. He was one of those people, kids, he was like a grandfather who always had a story to tell. I remember my grandpa, he, he didn't tell a lot of the stories until he got older, and then they started pouring out. And I can imagine if Moses was my grandfather, the stories he would tell me. But God said, you are my leader, and I hold you to a higher standard And so one moment of disobedience costs Moses what he's been waiting 80 years for. How many of you have waited 80 years for something? Most of us in this room are not even 80 years old. And yet he's been waiting 80 years to see this promised land. And because of one moment of anger instead of obedience... He doesn't go in. 
That's a really, really tough day. That's a really, really difficult moment. Because all of us had moments we wish we could have back. We all have words we wish we could have back. And yet Moses' moment costs him everything. And it's a reminder that as God chooses the people he's going to use, it's not about their talent. It's about their character. And yet we live in a world that is totally mesmerized by talent. David Brooks wrote a book last year called The Road to Character. And in that book, he contrasted what he calls eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. You know, resume virtues are the things that get you a job. They're the accomplishments you've had, the talents you have, the giftedness you have, the things that you admire in other people, the things you wish that you had, that they had. But eulogy virtues are the things that people talk about at your funeral. And I don't know about you, but I've never been to or officiated a funeral where somebody talked about how somebody hit their quarterly goals. I've never been to a funeral where at the front there was a casket and flowers and trophies. I've never heard anybody at a funeral talk about how big somebody's house was that they bought or how expensive their car was or where they went on vacation with their family. I never heard anybody talk about which version of the iPhone they had at somebody's funeral. See, there is a vast difference between eulogy virtues and resume virtues. And we live in a world that is mesmerized by this. But we follow a God who is most concerned with this. And we live in that world every single day. And we are tempted to buy into the importance of these over these, even in the church. See, we worship a God who qualifies and disqualifies based upon character and not talent, but many times in the church, we elevate people based upon talent and not character. We admire people based upon talent and not character. Because we've bought into the lie of the world that we live in every day. What I've learned over my short life is that your talent can take you further than your character can keep you. Your talent can take you further than your character can keep you. In some ways, your talent can take you and and cause you to step out somewhere that you don't have something to support you underneath it with. We've all watched people who were ridiculously talented and then they lost everything. Not because they started sucking at what they did, but because they didn't have the character. I could list off the names of pastors who are much better at speaking than I am who are no longer pastoring today. And it's not because they're not a better speaker than I am. It's because in a moment or a series of moments, they lacked the character and they lost their calling and their position based upon character, not talent. God calls and God disqualifies and God qualifies based on character, not talent. The story continues in verse 15. Moses talks back to God and he says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. 
The second lesson we learn about how God calls people to courageous callings is that God is concerned with our public and our private lives. God's concerned with our public and our private lives. We now live in a world because of these where nothing stays hidden forever. I mean, you may not think that there's a group of paparazzi chasing you around, but if you have an epic meltdown in a restaurant, someone can pull their phone out and it's just as effective. And we have to remind ourselves that God is concerned with both our public lives and our private lives. And so was Moses. He says, God, if you're going to choose a successor for me, then appoint a man that you see both. He says, let the Lord, the God of all the spirits of all the flesh, the God who knows every person, not just publicly, but privately, the God who knows every person's actions and their heart. God, you appoint someone based upon that. What I've learned about courage is that public courage is dependent on private character. Public courage is dependent on private character. If you want to have courage in public, you have to have character in private. Because if you don't have the character in private, when push comes to shove, you'll pull back publicly. I've told the story from here that my wife and I, when we got married, we had $210,000 in debt without a mortgage. And it was during that time that I had a huge credit card debt and I wasn't giving anything to the church I was employed by because I could barely cover my bills, much less give to the church. Do you think during that time I preached sermons about the importance of tithing? No. Because public courage is based on private character. And if you don't have the character when no one else is looking, you're not going to be able to sustain a message publicly when everyone does. Because you're going to know in your heart that you're not that kind of person. Everywhere we go, we're reminded, whether it's politics or the church or business or our families, that private and public, when they don't line up, messes come from that. I know there's kids in the room. Hopefully you're not asleep yet. Every child in the room under 18, 18 or under, could you all stand up? Every child in the room, 18 or under, please stand up and just stay standing for a second. Okay? Just take a look at him for a second. Okay, you guys can sit down. If you are involved in the life of one of those children, either as a family member, a friend, or you serve in our children's ministry, will you now stand up? If you're involved in the life of one of those children in some way, you're that part of their family, you serve here in children's ministry, you know them, you're a family member, you're a friend, please stand up. Okay, you guys can sit back down. When I was in college, one of my friends who was the same year as me, he was a youth pastor. And he decided for his senior thesis to do a study about the apathy he saw in his students. He wanted to know why his students were apathetic. You know what he found? He studied students at two Christian high schools and he asked them a series of questions about their spiritual apathy. 
And what he found was the number one cause of spiritual apathy in those teenagers was the duplicity in their parents. When those students saw parents act one way at church or one way in public and be another person at home in private, the students interpreted that as hypocrisy and they said, I want nothing to do with that if that is what faith is. It didn't matter if the parents tithed. It didn't matter if the parents were at church every single Sunday. It didn't matter if they led a Bible study. It didn't matter if they served. If parents were one way here and one way there, students go, I'm out. You may make me be there, but in my heart, I'm not there. You see, God is concerned with both our public lives and our private ones. And this amazing trend is happening now in the American church where we're deciding that those both don't matter. In 2011, a study was done and it said that 30% of white evangelicals said that an elected official who commits an immoral act in their personal life can still behave ethically and fulfill their duties. 30%. In 2016, five years later, 72% of white evangelicals said that an elected official who commits an immoral act in their personal life can still behave ethically and fulfill their duties. In five years... We went from 30% of us to 72% of us. We've bought into the lie that what happens in public is more important than what happens in private and that we can separate the two. That is a lie. And even if it's the dominant belief in the American church today, it's still a lie. God is concerned with both our public and our private. And if we don't buy into the truth, we're headed for a train wreck. Because the truth is undefeated. The truth is undefeated. It will always come out. Maybe not in a day. Maybe not in a week. Maybe not in a year. But the truth always comes out. And that's why we have to pay attention to our character. Because if we want to become courageous, character is the seed of courage. After Moses tells God who he thinks God should pick, God says, it's okay, I've already got somebody in mind. In verse 18, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man on whom is the Spirit. Lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey him. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. The Urim was a a tool that God gave the priest to discern his will. And at his word, the people shall go out and at his word, they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that God is preparing us for a moment that we aren't expecting. God is preparing us for a moment that we aren't expecting. God is preparing you for something that you don't see coming. And looking back in your life, you're going to be able to turn and see moment after moment after moment where God was preparing you in the same way that God was preparing Joshua. 
Because I believe that Joshua was terrified in the moment when he learned that he was going to be the guy following Moses. But as we look back on Joshua's life, we see the reason why God chose Joshua. Let me show you a couple of verses here. In Exodus 24, the Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain and wait there and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the laws and the commandments. This is the Ten Commandments moment. And what does it say? So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. When Moses was on the mountain, Joshua was at the foothills. Later on in the book of Exodus, it says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Wherever Moses went, Joshua went. And whenever Moses spoke with God, Joshua was close enough to hear a whisper. We don't see any place in here where it says that Joshua had all these degrees and all these endorsements and all these talents. The only thing we see from this passage is it says that Joshua was a man in whom was the Spirit. He was someone who was near God. He was someone who was close to God. And he was someone that he knew God could use. Here's what you need to know if you're being prepared by God. Three quick lessons. The first one is this. God cares more about your availability than he does your ability. God cares more about your availability than he does your ability. Because if character is more important than talent... A person of character who's available to God is more important than one who has the talent but is full of themselves. Your availability is more important than your ability. Second, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Joshua didn't feel like he had what he needed and so he was afraid. But what he needed to know was that God would provide what he needed when he needed it. And his calling would be followed by his equipping. If you don't feel like you have what you need, then you must not need it yet. And I love God. He always shows up at 1159. Not early, but never late. And then finally, you need to know that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And if you say, God, what do you see in me that lets you know that I am prepared for this? He must see something that you don't see. Externally, outwardly, God sees our hearts. The final lesson we learn in Numbers 27 is here, number four. And it's that great leaders begin as exceptional followers. Great leaders begin as exceptional followers. The reason why Joshua was a great leader, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, was that he'd been an exceptional follower. And there are some of you that are not where you want to be. You don't have the opportunities and the influence and the power and the resources. And God is saying, will you be faithful where you are? to open up the possibility of being somewhere different one day. Because if you can't follow well, you'll never lead well. The worst followers become the worst leaders. Because once they get power, they use it to abuse all of the other followers. And if you can be a humble follower, you can be a humble leader.
want to give you guys a couple next steps as we close this morning. I'm jumping through some stuff here. The first next step I want to challenge you with this morning is I want to challenge you to identify the gap between God's values and your own. I want to challenge you to identify the gap between God's values and your values. Are you somebody who values resume values? Are you somebody who values eulogy values? Are you somebody who values what people can see? Are you somebody who values what God can see? Identify the gap if there is one. Number two, I want to challenge you to align your private and public life through confession and accountability. Let me tell you something. The last thing a child needs is a duplicious example. And the greatest gift you can give your child is an authentic yet imperfect view of your faith. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. It just matters if it's real. And if you try to be perfect at the price of being fake, I promise you, your children are going to go, I don't want anything to do with that. Because it's not real. Joshua, sorry, 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Maybe today is a day where we need to confess our sins that there's a gap between who we are in public and who we are in private. And then finally, number three, I want to challenge you to thank God. It says that Joshua had God's spirit. And that what, what, the reason why that's important is that not everyone in the Old Testament got God's spirit. Only certain people. But after Jesus comes, he promises his followers that each and every person who has had a life-changing encounter with him will receive his spirit and that he will come and dwell in them. That, that they literally become God's temple. You are God's temple. And he has his spirit within you. And he's preparing you for something that you don't know is coming. You could be scared. Or you could thank him that he's promised to give you everything you need for the moment where you get to become courageous. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for these children that are here in this room. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a genuine example in their sight. We pray that in the places you're calling us to be courageous, that you show us the gaps between who we say we are and who we actually are, with who we are in public and who we are in private. And we pray that out of those private moments that no one sees, you would give us an opportunity to be courageous for you when everyone is watching. God, we feel overwhelmed and underprepared. We thank you that you don't give us what we think we need but you arrived just on time with what we need. And we thank you that you see something in us we don't see in ourselves. We pray that we would trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.